0: You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook, where we post all of our content. And you can subscribe to Locked On Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. It is our Thursday show this week off season, and we're going to take your questions. A lot of questions about the draft, about the coaching search, about some of the intricacies of offensive scheme change. I was really excited to answer some of these questions, and uh, we actually don't have real important tangible news to to discuss really uh Joe Witt went to the Cleveland Browns I don't I don't really want to get into this but there is this pervasive I don't know pervasive might not even be the right way to phrase it but there is a vocal group of fans very upset at Mark Murphy for I don't even know what really and there are people who just love a conspiracy theory, I think, or or they they want to have a, a potential scapegoat or they want to look smart. I don't I don't really know what's going on there, but there is this idea that somehow the Packers coaching transactions are wildly atypical in that the front office seems to be pulling some strings here. And that is just not atypical it's just not there is no there's just no way to imagine the browns the team that hired half of the packers front office staff and the team that is gm'd by a former packers personnel person that that wanted to hire mike mccarthy that preferred to hire mike mccarthy That that team just thought, well, James Campen and Joe Witt are the best coaches for us to hire. And, and that that was something that Freddie Kitchens came to just, just magically. Just magically. You don't think the front office said, hey, Freddie, these guys are really good? You don't think that happened? I mean, come on. And so for, for there to be this wailing and gnashing of teeth that the Packers would dare to suggest that longtime McCarthy assistants be fired it is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This happens on every team in every sport, but it certainly happens in football. If it's okay for the front office to be involved in hiring, it's okay for them to be involved in firing. And I just think it's so funny that it seems like the same fans that were mad that Ted Thompson didn't meddle in Mike McCarthy's coaching staff and insist that he fire Dom Capers are the same people who are now upset that this front office is taking more decisive action when it comes to the coaching staff. It, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me and I don't want to, I don't want to give any more credence to it or spend any more time on that than I have to, but it keeps coming up and I don't think it is from people that listen to this show. I think it is from people who are existing in Packers Twitter somewhere in some much darker timeline than the one that, that listeners to this show exist in. And I I am, I am happy to report that it seems to me that the listeners of this show and, and not necessarily because, you know, I'm offering them some sort of sage insight they couldn't get elsewhere. It just seems like the people who are attracted to this show are the kind of people that have more informed opinions that decide they don't need to ask me questions that they could just Google. And I appreciate that. But speaking of questions, let's get to some of yours. And I want to start with the draft because we haven't really had the opportunity to get there uh, with the draft because there's just been too much going on coaching carousel wise and and everything else that that we've had to look at over the last few weeks. We haven't had a chance to look at the Packers, the, the options that they have. They have three picks inside the top 50 and they're going to have the opportunity to get some very good players. And and so that makes this draft particularly important. And I think this is uh you know this is a this is a good place to start for us. Hey Peter, this is Trevor from Ripon, Wisconsin. I've been looking at mock drafts and some prospects. I like polite at twelve and Nasir Adderley at 32, or wherever the Saints pick end up. I know you love Polite at twelve, but who are you wanting the Packers to get at 32? And that dovetails with the with a question I got on the on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, anytime you want to hit us up there, you can do that, 920-341-3775. They didn't leave their name, and generally, I, I am rewarding of those people that do leave their name because I, I don't ask that much of you. Just give me your name and where you're, you're coming from. You don't even have to give me your location. Just give me your name. If you don't give me your name, I'm not going to read the question. I, it's just, it's easy. It should be easy. Uh anyway <laughs> the the person with no name the person who's who who shall not be named um seemed to believe that polite might be there at 32 and therefore uh he might be a a bit of a risk or a bit of a reach at 12 I I, I don't know how the draft is going to play out I don't have a crystal ball so I don't know if Chikai polite is going to be there at 32 No one thought Josh Jackson was going to be there at 45 last year. There were a lot of people that thought Josh Jackson was the right pick at 14 or 17, and that there would have been no way when the Packers took Jair Alexander that they could have predicted Josh Jackson would be there in the second round for them. The thing is, if you like a prospect, do not wait for him. Do not say, well, I think we could get him at thirty two or we could get him at twenty five and so let's take twenty five or let's take thirty two and forty four package them and move up to get that guy. No, just take him, just take him at twelve. There are a lot of people that thought the Seahawks were crazy when they took Bruce Irvin as high as they did, and Bruce Irvin turned out to be a really impactful player for the Seahawks and and most of us who thought that was a little bit of a wonky pick. I actually really liked Bruce Irvin but a lot of people thought that was a wonky pick and they just got their guy. They took the guy that they thought was the best player. But back to Trevor's question, who are you wanting at 32 for the Packers? So when you look at the possibilities there, there's going to be a lot of discrepancies. This is this is a draft that is devoid of this the true standout quarterback. And so that really puts this this draft into a lot of flux. There's not a standout quarterback. There's not a standout receiver. There's not a standout running back. And that makes this a weird draft because teams, when it comes to offensive and defensive linemen, for example, they value traits differently because different schemes require different kinds of players. And that's going to be true of edge players. It's going to be true of linebackers. It's going to be true of corners and safeties. And, and the, the consistent things in a draft are quarterback, running back, and receiver. Because big, talented receivers, everyone could use. Big, strong-armed, accurate quarterbacks that are smart, everyone could use those guys. Running backs who are dynamic and, and have good vision and balance and are durable, teams want those guys even if i don't think spending a high pick is necessarily the way to go there but so that that turns this draft there's a lot of turmoil here and I, I, turmoil maybe be the wrong word but there's a lot of questions that i think are still to be answered that the 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 process is going to uh, give us and I, I think right now the the plan should be and i wrote about this a couple of days ago uh, about the saints they took their defensive impact player in Marshawn Lattimore, and then at the end of the first round, they drafted Ryan Ramchek. And they solidified their offensive line and their defense in one round. Green Bay has the opportunity to do that. So there are there are going to be players who fall. There are going to be good players who fall into the 20s. There, there is, I think, a, a case to be made that what the Packers should do is try to leave this draft with two blue-chip players. So if someone falls, let's say there's an offensive lineman, a stud offensive lineman, or you know Devin White, let's say, the LSU linebacker, for reasons of just maybe positional scarcity or, or positional importance, and the Packers think this person, this player can come in and change our team, then 32 and 44 and go up and get him. I think that makes a lot of sense. But then there's also the case for, the draft is a little bit of a crapshoot. So just take your swings. So find find your defensive playmaker at twelve if you can. I'm not saying reach, but that should be the goal. Find your field tilter at 12. Jakai Polite, Cleland Farrell. There are a ton of at Oliver, if he falls, even though he's an interior player, not an edge rusher. That is priority number one. And then at 32, I mean Nasir Adderley. The safety from Delaware, a lot of people think he's the best safety in the draft. Deontay Thompson, who is a talented but inconsistent safety from Alabama. That may sound familiar to Packers fans. And then there's these th- this really talented group of tight ends. I love Irv Smith from Alabama. I think TJ Hawkinson's probably going to be gone, but if he's there at 32 or 30, 30 or 31, whatever, that makes a lot of sense. I love Irv Smith, man. I mean, T.J. Hawkinson is great. I think he's the best tight end in the class, but the upside of Smith, who's 20 years old, uh, doesn't turn 21 until this summer, can run, can block, can catch. He just, I think he would give this offense a dynamic that they just haven't had. Uh, That would be a really fun thing to do there. And then, you know, you can get your offensive linemen, your depth pieces a little bit later. You can find a receiver, a slot receiver, maybe. I mean, these are these are things that you can get later. And I think that's a that that dovetails with this question that I got on Twitter from someone. And the, the question is MM made his preferences for taller receivers, Allison, MVS, Equinemia St. Brown fit that mold. But short area quickness seems to be lacking with this group of slot bunch formation receivers. With the likely departure of Cobb, what types of receivers need to be added or are deal ideal for LeFleur. I mentioned Golden Tate last week. Marquise Brown, Hollywood. He, from Oklahoma, I think would be a terrific fit. He's got a little Deshaun Jackson, a little Tyreek Hill in his game. He's an undersized guy, but man, he can fly. Then out of those bunch of formations on a crossing route, you throw the ball six yards and he can go 60. That is not something that Green Bay has had. I think uh, in free agency, someone like Jamison Crowder, who, who was at Washington, played um, in that Kyle Shanahan offense, he makes a lot of sense. He he could be what Randall Cobb, something similar to what Randall Cobb was at his best. Short area quickness, speed, get open in a hurry, get the ball out and let him make a play. Also a punt returner, so that, that gives you a little bit of an added dimension. There, A lot of the guys, the top receivers in this draft are big guys. 6'4", 6'3", 6'5". And there is, there is a, uh, a much smaller number, at least at the top of the draft, of these sort of slot receivers. So I could see Green Bay saying, what we're going to do is focus on speed and short area quickness in free agency. Sign Jamison Crowder and not worry about receiver in the draft. That's certainly something that they could do. And, and then you, you can still take a tight end, still add a pass catcher. Or maybe you find a running back that you think can play a sort of dual role, a sort of Darren Sproles, James White type role. I mean, we saw what James White was able to do against that San Diego Chargers defense. He was incredible, and that's against defensive backs. I mean, they played that that 7-DB look the whole game, and it didn't matter. James White killed them. So there there are more than one ways. To, there's more than one way to skin a cat here. Not that I think you should skin a cat. That's a weird phrase. I don't why would you skin a cat? I don't get it. But there are there are some good run after catch slot receivers. This is something I, I mentioned when I did my initial film review of the the Titans offense. They need a a slot receiver who can create and create after the catch. It's why I suggested Golden Tate. I mean, you saw this Rams offense. Cooper Cup not being in the lineup hurt them. And the the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan were able to make do with someone like Marquise Goodwin, who's really just a burner because you can create opportunities for him, lanes for him. So someone like Hollywood Brown, I just think, could crush in this offense because you'd get him opportunities in the same way that you get Marquise Goodwin. Opportunities down the field with open green grass and just let Aaron Rodgers lay the ball out there for him. I mean, it could be deadly. And, and you could get him at 32. You could, you might be able to get him at 44. And who knows, maybe he's the guy you move up for. I think that would be a lot to give up to get someone like that. But if he's there at 32 and you think you can get a tight end at 44, I mean, give Rodgers some weapons. You bring in the offensive coach and, and let's roll. All right, let's get to these questions are a little bit more um, about coaching a little bit more about, uh, that side of the off season. And so I wanted to group these together. So let's start with this, uh, this voicemail. Hey Peter, it's Ryan from Asheville, North Carolina. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the West coast style offense that the Packers have played for a number of years and whether or not our new head coach and offensive coordinator have similar West Coast styles, or if that will be adapted, or by the time they're done with it, will it look anything like uh, the West Coast style Packers offense that we've known for so many years? Thanks a lot. Appreciate what you do. All right, so I want to I want to be careful with this because I don't want to get into the minutia of of you know route distribution and route trees and scheme, um, you know run fits and all that. stuff. It's just. It, it, first of all, podcasts are a bad medium for that in general, and and second of all, I just I don't I don't have in depth enough knowledge to really make that worth your time in terms of you know these the scheme and the detail of it the minutiae of it. But go read any of the Chris Brown books, uh, Smart Football. Um, they're awesome. They give you the history of these concepts and how they came to be. But I, what I do think is useful here. Is a discussion briefly, and I don't I don't want to bore anyone with a history lesson, but Mike Shanahan is on the the Bill Walsh coaching tree, but he is on what is generally considered a separate branch of the Bill Walsh coaching tree than Mike Holmgren, Mike McCarthy, Andy Reid. They run what we think of as a more traditional West Coast offense. It looks much much more Uh, in line with what the 49ers did in the eighties, the Packers did in the nineties and what the Packers really have been doing ever since then. The Shanahan offense is a little bit um, it's a little bit more run heavy. It's a little bit more predicated on play action and misdirection and leak out plays. And it, it, it is evolved into something that takes into account bunch formations and, uh, the 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 way that Kyle Shanahan has really pushed it forward and Sean McVay and these guys, creating space is really what Mike Shanahan set out to do. I'm going to create lanes for my running back. And it was, I mean, it was a running joke in the 90s and, and 2000s that if you played in a Mike Shanahan offense, it didn't matter if you were, you know, if you were a first-round pick or an undrafted free agent, you were going to rush for a 1,000 yards because that offense just bred 1,000-yard rushers. And then... You go play action, you you roll the quarterback out, you get him on the move, and you give him lanes. You give him opportunities to throw. And I think Rodgers is going to love that. He's going to absolutely love it because he gets on the move. He's the greatest on-the-move thrower ever, and he stresses a defense in multiple ways when he does that because he can run, and he can, he can get out of the pocket, not worry about the pass rush, and make the second reaction plays that he needs to make. The traditional kind of, of West Coast offense, it's a lot of plays that that you recognize, that you know. The, the slants, slant flat, the, the crossing routes, the deep over routes, the drag routes, post-wheel combinations, things that the Packers have had in their offense forever. And that's not to say that Matt LaFleur's offense doesn't have those concepts in it. They do. But they look different. And Matt LaFleur in particular, his offense in the McVay style, in the, the Shanahan style, uses a lot more bunch formations, is going to use a lot more motion, going to use jet motion. I bet they're going. you're going to actually see them give on that jet motion this year a bunch, especially if they get someone like Hollywood Brown. I mean, just get him the ball and let him go. I wouldn't be surprised if they ran a fly sweep and they sent Aaron Jones in motion. That would be a fun way to, to to run that too. Uh the run game is really how everything is predicated. I think that's the right way to do this and and the Mike McCarthy system uh it just it it didn't it didn't build in the same way that that this version of the West Coast. Remember this is still a West Coast offense technically because Mike Shanahan is a West Coast disciple. It is just considered a different version it's a different branch of the west coast offense so it's going to look a lot different but there are are certainly especially in the run game there's going to be a lot of the run game is not going to look in terms of the blocking schemes and and running back decision making it's not going to look a ton different but from personnel deployment and all that kind of stuff it is going to look different this offense is is going to look very different, and I've said this before, in 2019 than it did in 2018 and and in a, a lot of really good, important ways. All right, uh, let's get to this next question. Peter, Andy from Green Bay question on our coaching staff. I'm all for Hackett and his differing views, personalities. However, wouldn't you think we'd be looking for coaches with experience with LeFleur so they can install his overall offense? Seems like priority one should be getting the team up to speed and having to teach a coordinator your plan before he can teach others seems counterproductive. Love the show. Thanks. So this is this is an intuitive notion you want to have a guy that knows your stuff come in and and teach it but at the end of the day it's football and what you want is you want the best ideas and so this is the, the Packers hired Matt LaFleur to run his offense and his offense is going to change but this is ultimately his offense so he's going to have to be the one to teach the base concepts and and the coaches because of the way the CBA works the coaches are going to be able to work on it and look at it and learn it. And they don't have to teach it to the players for weeks. I mean, months. So I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be worried about that. I think you're, you know, you're seeing some reports. um, You know, the Packers are interested in one of the offensive line coaches in San Francisco. It makes sense to want an offensive line coach, for example, to know the offense because the blocking scheme is very particular and it, it is it is important that it is taught in a certain kind of way, but Paul Hackett was not brought in to run Matt Lafleur's stuff. He was brought in to bring new ideas and to say, "Hey, have you thought about this this way?" I mean, his nickname at Syracuse was the Mad Scientist. He was brought in because he's a creative offensive coach. He doesn't they don't have to they don't have to put together game plans in April or in May or July, or even August. They've got months to figure this out. I mean, they don't play for nine months from right now. There's plenty of time for them to get on the same page in terms of game design and play call and all that stuff. What they need to do right now is get the best group of teachers and minds together. And and that's what this Hackett hire is. I understand the concern. I just don't think the concern is really that high and and dovetailing into this discussion about coaches. Hey, Peter, what's happening? Hello, Peter. What's happening? This is John in Tennessee. It looks like the Browns are eating the Packers lunch when it comes to hiring assistant coaches. They are rounding out their staff before the Packers are even getting started. What do you think? Well, I don't think that's true. I just don't. The Packers would not have had any interest in Steve Wilkes. They clearly wanted Mike Patton. I think there's a good case to be made. Mike Patton is a better defensive coach than Steve Wilkes. We didn't see anything in Arizona that suggests Wilkes is a compelling personality. And we did see a cultural shift in year one with Mike Patton in house. So that's not lunch eating. The Packers didn't offer Todd Monken a job. You can't, there there were reports, oh, he picked the Browns because he likes the people better. Oh, and also because the Packers didn't offer him the job. You can't, you can't pick a different job when when the other job in question didn't offer you the job. By the way, I also decided not to be the Packers offensive coordinator. It is almost like saying that. Well, they didn't offer me the job. They didn't offer him the job either. So I don't think that is uh, get, getting your lunch eaten. And then the other two coaches, Joe Witt and James Campen, the Packers literally fired. So no. I mean, the, the Browns are hiring coaches that the Packers deemed expendable. How is how is that getting your lunch eaten? That just, it, it, that they have a staff is not proof that their staff is A, good, or B, better than the Packers. We don't know what the Packers staff is going to be. The Mike Patton staff is still being put together and so is Matt LaFleur's offensive staff. But I think Matt LaFleur is a better coach than Freddie Kitchens, or at least a more proven coach, he comes from a better pedigree, a better tree. I I would spend my money betting on Matt LaFleur. And I think Mike Patton is a better defensive coach than Steve Wilkes. So those are the two big hires. What else? What else? If if you if you won the offseason coaching in the two most important positions that you can have, then you didn't you didn't lose. It just makes it seem weird because the Browns are hiring all these guys the Packers have gotten rid of, but there's a reason that they're out and the Packers, whether it's the front office or the head, the head coach. Now they clearly see a benefit in moving on from Mike McCarthy's guys and it it is going to be up to Matt LaFleur and Mike Patton to make good hires with these new coaches, but no, the Browns are not eating the Packers lunch with these coaching hires. They, they just aren't all right. It is championship game weekend this weekend on Sunday. You've got Patriots in Kansas City. You've got the Rams in New Orleans against the Saints. And all we're really going to learn from that is uh, where the Saints pick is going to be. Because it's either going to be 29-30, uh, 31-32. 30, that, is, that is where we are with this pick. And the difference is minimal. I don't think any Packer fan should be worried about where that pick is. The difference between 29 and 32 is Marginal. Green Bay is going to have a ton of flexibility in this draft, and worrying about you know one or two draft spots at twelve or thirty-two, I think is is silly at this point. You know there are a lot of people that are, oh well, if the Packers hadn't hadn't beat the Jets, they'd be picking eighth or ninth or whatever. I mean, who who even cares at this point? Because there's so much uncertainty at the top of the draft, we just have no idea who's going to be available, and if Kyler Murray really is drafted. We, we think Dwayne Haskins is going to go in the top 12. We think Kyler Murray has a chance, at least, to go in the top 12. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, these guys could impress teams. And all of a sudden, you've got three guys there. That, that, that's, that's going to push other quality players down. Greedy Williams is probably going to get taken. We know Nick Bose is going to get taken. Jonah Williams, the tackle from Alabama. If he's there at 12, it makes a lot of sense, by the way. You're just pushing guys that the Packers want at premium positions and, and positions of need down into Green Bay's lap at 12. And that's pushing other guys down into their lap at 32 or if they want to move up. So there is there should be no major concerns about where the Packers are drafting. They're in a position to grab two really good players at the top of this draft. They just have to go do it. They just have to go do it. That is where we are with this team at this point. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Packers. We'll be back on Monday to discuss everything we have to. There could be coaching hires to talk about. Um, I'm going to get to some of your questions because there isn't going to be a lot on the docket in terms of player movement or coaching movement. And there's not going to be a lot of news for us to get to. So it's going to be your questions. I'm working on securing interviews for the whole offseason, trying to get some of the people that that you guys have reached out and said you want to hear from. So we'll start that next week in earnest. And anytime you want to be part of this show, there's a really easy way to do it. Hit me up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, 920-341-3775. It's a great excuse to stay Locked On Packers.